Well, uh, this morning I have a story about uh, mothers and um, it's about actually these four brothers who go away to college and they all end up getting really successful jobs. They're like doctors and lawyers and successful businessmen, wealthy. And so one particular uh, Mother's Day, you know, they discuss the gifts they bought. They go for dinner and they discuss their mom has moved to Florida and she's elderly. And so they discuss the gifts they bought for her. And so the first son says, you know, I had a, a big house built for mom in Florida and that was my gift. And uh, they're like, whoa, okay. And then the second one says, well, I had my Mercedes dealer ship her one, you know, a really nice new Mercedes for her. And then, oh, wow, okay. And, and then the third son says, well, I actually had a theater built into the house that uh, was built for mom, a really big, nice theater for her. And they're like, oh, wow, okay. And then the fourth son says, you know, I think I have you all beat. I can talk to you all. I have... Uh, you know, mom loves reading the Bible, but because she can't see as well anymore, um, I found out about this preacher who told me that they had a parrot who could recite the entire Bible. And so uh, I tried to get a hold of this parrot, but it was, you know, it's priceless. Like it took 10 preachers, eight years to train this parrot to be able to recite the whole Bible. And so I had to donate $50,000 a year to this church for the next five years. But finally, they agreed to give me the parrot. And so I had it sent to mom. And so she's set now all she has to do is say the verse, the chapter and verse and the parrot will, will recite the, the Bible. And so the brother said, Wow, okay, that is amazing. And then, you know, sure enough, when they got their thank you letters back, mom had written these things, she wrote, you know, Milton, the house you built is so huge that I only live in one room, but I have to clean the whole house. But, you know, thanks for the, the thought anyway. And then Marvin, I'm, I'm too old to travel. I stay home. I have my groceries delivered. So I never use the Mercedes, but the thought, the thought is good. Thank you. And then Michael, you gave me an expensive theater with Dolby sound and can hold 50 people, but all my friends have passed away and I've lost my hearing and I'm nearly blind. So, you know, uh, you know, thanks for the gesture all the same. And then she said, dearest Melvin, you are the only son to have the good sense to give a little thought to your gift. Thank you. The chicken was delicious. <laughs> There's no one quite like a mother. There's no one quite like a mother. Maybe yours is frustrating or maybe the best mother ever. I don't know your situation. Maybe she mistook your priceless parrot for a chicken. Or maybe she did something incredibly sacrificial for you and uh, like gave herself to help you, you know, uh, but however, wh wherever you are on that span, I think we could all agree that if I, you know, say the word mother, different, lots of different words come to mind. It's hard to kind of think of one word that would describe mothers for us because there's so many different words and it's, you know, it's complicated. So to just find one word is a challenge. I'm going to link this in. Don't worry. Our sermon series is a few last things. And Jesus is unveiling our passage this morning. He's unveiling his plans for how the disciples are going to make it, how they're going to make it in the Christian life. He won't leave them alone. He's going to leave them with a help, a helper. And maybe it's going to be hard to find one word to describe this helper, this one who would come alongside us and help. 
But make no mistake, Jesus has been building to this. He's, he's looking toward his death, his resurrection, and the one that he's going to send to be with us. How will we obey? How will we follow God? How will we do what he wants us to do and be who he wants us to be? The answer is in this one that he will send. We're going to read John chapter 14 this morning. John chapter 14, verses 15 to 31. And again, with some of these passages, it's maybe nice to follow along in your own Bible. If you have a Bible, you could read along with me. I will read it. Um, 15 to 31, chapter 14, verses 15 to 31. You can follow along. I'm reading from the NIV. Uh, this is what it says. If you love me, keep my commands and I will ask the father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot see him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you before long. The world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, thank you, John, for clarifying, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the father who sent me. All this I've spoken while still with you, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You heard me say I'm going away and I'm going to come back to you or I'm coming back to you. If you love me, you would be glad that I'm going to the father for the father is greater than I. I've told you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not say much more to you for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me, but he comes so that the world may learn that I love the father and do exactly what my father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. This is God's word. A nice chunk we're taking on this morning. And my big idea is because God has filled us with his own living presence, we can obey in love. Because God has filled us with his own living presence, we can obey in love. I know um, whenever we say a word, we have associations. It's called word association. But so if, if I said a certain word to you, you would have a picture in your mind or an image or an idea of what that meant to you. And the funny thing about all of us here as a group is that we might have different things that we're picturing. So if I said to you the word, um, counselor, you might picture, maybe you might picture uh, a like psychologist, maybe, or maybe someone else pictures a camp counselor, if that's kind of what was their experience, or maybe you picture like a relationship expert. 
like a marriage counselor, or maybe you picture like a counselor, like, like someone who's giving you counsel, like a, a, an advice giver, someone you would go to for advice. And if I said the word advocate, you might picture, you know, like a social worker or a youth advocate, someone who's like, you know, fighting for someone's rights or to defend them. Maybe if you're like me, you think of the French word, which is avocat, which is for lawyer, which is a really similar word to advocate. You know, lawyers are advocates. Or maybe if you're a kid, you're thinking avocado, which has nothing to do with advocate at all, but it seems like a similar word. Or if I said the word comforter to you, you might think of your quilt or like your duvet or the thing on your bed that keeps you warm and snugly. It's your comforter. Or someone else might picture a person who, who's with them when they're in grief, a person who comforts and who's with them to help them walk through their bereavement, their uh, grief or sadness. Or if I said the word helper to you, you might picture, <laughs> like uh, if you're a parent, you might picture your little helper coming to help you. Like, oh, you've got a helper. It's like, yeah, I got a helper. <laughs> Great. Like it's a little condescending maybe, or, you know, it's like, you know, I'm doing the main work and the helper kind of, yeah, they help, but like, you know, it's a kind of a side job. So we can picture all sorts of different things. It's interesting in this passage in verse 16 and 17, Jesus says, I will ask the father and he will give you another in the NIV. It says advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. Now this English word advocate in the NIV is actually a really hard word to translate from Greek. So if we looked at the Greek word, you'll see in different translations, it's translated as different words because it's really hard to, to nail it down to one English word. So if you looked at the ESV translation or the NASB, it would say helper instead of advocate. Or if you looked at an ASB, it would say comforter. Or if you looked at the CEB, it would say companion. Or the CSB, it would say counselor. So these words all kind of are, are in this word. This word, and it's the translation would be paraclete would be the word. Or the Greek is parakletos. Parakletos is the word. And it means literally one who stands alongside. So that's what the word means, but it's got all these other things in it. It's like one who is called, one who's sent for to assist another, an advocate, an intercessor, a helper, one who encourages and comforts. Gen generically, it's one who's present to render various beneficial services. So you get this idea of like, it's this big word. Paraclete is like, it's got all these things to it. And so... You know, you could pick one, but the one doesn't totally describe the job, this person, this paraclete. It's Jesus says he's sending a paraclete, one who stands alongside. And then he describes a little more than just the word, what that looks like. He says, number one, that paraclete will be with you to help you and be with you forever. One. And number two, it will live with you and in you. And number three, to teach you all things and remind you of what Jesus said. And then fourthly, to comfort you in a world with peace in a world of trouble. 
So you've got this picture of this one who stands alongside you, who brings all of these things as a comforter, an intercessor, a counselor, a, you know, uh, an advocate, and who comes to, to cover these, these jobs. And then a little bit later, Jesus is going to even go further to say in verse uh, chapter 15, verse 26, that he will testify about me. And then in verse 16, he says, this paraclete will be the one who convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. He will guide you into all truth. He will tell you what is to come, and he will glorify Jesus. So like, this sounds like a big deal. This paraclete, this one who's going to come that Jesus is sending to come alongside. And that's a comfort to his followers that Jesus isn't going to leave them alone. Like orphans is the picture, but he's going to send this one to stand alongside them. Now, maybe you notice that there's a word right before that word. If the word is advocated in your translation or whatever, helper or whatever it is, there's a word right before it. That's another, another paraclete. And the word another means another of the same kind. It's like not a different one, but another that's just like it. Another of the same kind. Another paraclete. Jesus says he's sending another paraclete. So then my question is like, well, who's the first paraclete? If, if this other one is coming, who's the first one? And the answer is in John, 1 John chapter 2, we see John writes this. If anybody does sin, we have a toss with the father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Jesus is described as the paraclete. So the first one, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for ours, but the sins of the whole world. John writes, Jesus, the advocate, the intercessor, the go-between, the one who comes to stand alongside us, right? Like God with us, literally God with us. And this is the picture. Jesus is the paraclete and he's sending another paraclete, someone just like him, of the same kind as him, the spirit of truth, the spirit of Jesus. Now, we've talked before. I know I've talked about why. Why don't we just get Jesus? He seemed pretty awesome. You know, it'd be pretty nice to have Jesus standing alongside me, I think, in the, in the flesh. That would be awesome. But Jesus says that it will be better. A little bit later on, he's going to say that. It's, it's better that he goes and that um, this one comes, this paraclete, the Holy Spirit would come. And if paraclete literally means to stand alongside, then Jesus can't literally stand alongside me and you at the same time. He's a, in a physical body. And so Jesus promises something better. That's what he says, not me. He says it's better. And the promise is, he says, you know him for he lives with you and in you. So this, this paraclete that Jesus is sending to the disciples and to us, for us, is not just one who stands alongside, but one who is with us and in us. It's even better than just the physical presence. It's with us and in us. Now, this has ramifications for us. There's a story of a young missionary named Herbert Jackson, and he went to his mission. This is an old story missionary. So he went to the mission and to another country, and he's there. And so he needed a car to get around, and someone gave him a car. And so the problem with the car was it worked in every other way except for it didn't start, which is like a big problem. 
Um, and so, you know, but he, he realized that he could get the, the car started if he, if it was rolling, if it would get a rolling start or he could jump start it, it would get going. And so, you know, he, he, he came up with some great ways to do that. So where he lived was right next to a, a school. And so he went and he asked the school, you know, Hey, can I borrow some kids in the morning? First thing, if they can push my car and get it started. And so the school's like, sure. So the kids would come in, they would push the car and get it started. So every day, this is what he would do. He'd get the kids to push, start the car. And then when he was out on his rounds, he would just always park on a hill so it could roll to start, or he would leave the car running if it was a short meeting. So obviously, wherever he was a missionary, there was not car thievery, or that would be a problem if you left your car running, but it seemed to work for him. So for two years, this is what he does. And he, he made, he's like a smart guy. He makes it all work. So after two years, he's going to leave. He's going back and the new missionary comes. And so Herbert says to the guy, you know, here's the car. Here's how it works. Here's some good hills to park on. You know, this is how I make it work. And the school's, the school's on board. And this guy says, well, let me have a look at it. So he opens the hood and he fiddles around for a minute or two. And then he tightens one of the cables and suddenly the car starts <laughs> just no problem. I mean, this is the picture is like in the Christian life, Jesus has offered us this incredible help, advocate, intercessor, counselor, comforter, this person who will do all these things in our lives. And yet, so often we live without turning to the spirit or asking for help. We push our car up and down and we do all sorts of crazy things in the Christian life to make it work when the power is there and offered, if we just will connect to the spirit. Charles Spurgeon says, without the spirit of God, we can do nothing. We are as ships without the wind, branches without sap, and like coals without fire. We are useless. Here's my discussion question for you. I'd like you to think of and share, um, if you're willing, of an area in your life uh, where you would like to experience the power or the help of the Holy Spirit. So it could be an area that you're having trouble in right now, or it could be just an area you're like, I'd like to see the power of God, the power of the Spirit working here, or to help me know how to do this better or something. So an area of your life that you would love to see the power or the help of the Holy Spirit working in. Let's go to group. Okay. Well, um, the second thing that's really, really uh, strongly emphasized here is that we would love to obey. And uh, <laughs> it made me think of a story. Um, when I was in high school, I joined a high school in grade 10. And, um, and I found out very quickly that there was a grade nine math teacher whom I had missed uh, who was this very beautiful woman who was single and like a young teacher. And many of the guys had a crush on her. They thought she was beautiful and they like hoped they could marry her someday. They was like, you know, and, uh, and so I, you know, I knew who she was, but I didn't have her as my teacher. So, um, and then we heard how one year suddenly she was stolen away from us by Bruce and Bruce was not a high school boy. He was a man. And he, you know, 
he, he won her heart and they got engaged and then they got married and she left, she moved away. And so it was like, oh, okay. You know, and then I went to Trinity Western and, um, and found out that Bruce um, was actually Dr. Shelby. He was a historic history professor, like a very w- great one. And so it was like, okay, she, she did snag a, an awesome guy. Okay. That makes sense. You know? And one day, I guess they invited over some of the, some of her old students. And so my friends, some of my friends were going to go and I, they invited me to come along. So I went to, and we, so we went to their house and we hung out, we were at their table and they, you know, fed us some snacks or something, you know, we were university students. And, uh, and then I, I still remember very clearly he had an interaction. So Bruce is talking to us, Dr. Shelby, and uh, you know, he seemed like a really neat guy. And, he had this interaction with one of his kids, one of his sons, and they kind of went off to the side. And then he came back and he shared with us um, one of his perspectives on parenting. And what he said was this. He said, I remind them of why they obey or why they need to obey. And, and I say to them, you obey because you love daddy. And I was like, oh, that's weird. Like, that's your discipline for your kids. And then he shared more. He said, you know, that he was challenged that um, if God doesn't call us to obey out of fear, but out of love, that maybe he would try parenting that way. And I'm in my head, I'm thinking like, okay, that's a bit crazy. Like, whoa, that's like extreme. And he said, yeah, so this was what he does. He doesn't power over his kids. He calls them to obey out of love because that's what Jesus does with us. And I thought, you know, I left and I remember thinking, and we even went home and me, me and my friends were talking and I was like, oh, that's so crazy. Like, I don't know how that works. Like kooky Bruce, sorry, you know, poor math teacher, you did marry a kooky guy. I don't know, you know, how that even works. And I kind of thought I'd love to see those kids like in a long time to see if that worked, you know, before I ever tried that. And then over the years, I did think about it and I kept thinking about it and I look at the Bible and I realized like, you know, if, if this is what God does for us, maybe it is worth doing with our family, you know? And so I have tried to do that with my own kids to call them to obey out of love. And this is the picture we're given very clearly in this passage. We obey because we love him. And if we love him, we will obey him. Um, Love and obedience are connected. And uh, I remember also in university, I took a, a drama class, one of my acting classes. As you know, I did acting as my major or drama as my major. And so one of my acting classes early on, uh, I remember very distinctly was about motivation. So they talk about your character. You have a script, you have a, you know, a stage and you're moving around on the stage, but, but a character needs motivation. You don't just say lines or it feels like you're just saying lines or you don't just like walk around the stage or the director will say to you, well, why did you go over there? And you say, well, I don't know. I just was trying to do something. And they'll say, no, no, no. What was your motivation? You, you, you have to have a reason why you're doing it. Your character needs motivation, why you say things or do things. And you need to think about it as an actor. And so we would. And so we talked in the class about what's the strongest motivation you can have. You want to always choose the strongest motivation. You could choose all sorts of things. And so people discuss, you know, is it revenge or is hatred, you know, like some anger, some rage, like the strongest motivation you could have as a character. 
And in the end, it doesn't even matter what your lines are. In the end, the strongest motivation is love, actually. The strongest motivation is love. And as an actor, they tell you, if you can choose love in whatever you're saying is you need for love or your desire for love or, you know, like deep down under the layers, if, that, if that's your motivation, it will be the strongest motivation. And this is what we see here. Jesus says in verse 15, if you love me, keep my commands. In verse 21, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. Verse 23, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and we will come to them and make our home in them. If you, anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. And then in John 15, so in the next chapter, Jesus says, remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you remain in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so your joy will be complete. You are my friends if you do what I command. And then in 1 John chapter 2, John writes this. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. Like, you may or may not like this. I don't know. You know, when we talk about obeying and commands, it gets stressful for people. You, you might like it or you might not. but the truth is love and obedience are connected. They are connected. So this is my discussion question for you. Do you think love is enough of a reason or a motivation to obey? Why or why not? So like when I went home and talked about what Dr. Shelby said, I, we talked about it. We discussed it. So what do you think? Do you think love is enough of a reason or motivation to obey? Why or why not? how would that work? Let's go to our groups. So a question that comes with obeying and with commands and this idea is, I think one question is like, what are we obeying? Because that's confusing to a lot of people too. And I think, uh, you know, when we talk about the words obey and commands, a lot of us have associations. We associate with like, saintly people or goody goody Christians, or, you know, maybe we picture stone tablets and angry bearded people, you know, what commands are we supposed to obey? What is Jesus talking about? And the answer is actually overwhelmingly clear when you look at the things Jesus has said. So Matthew chapter 22, verse 40, Jesus says, all the law and prophets hang on these two commands. And then he says, love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. John 13, 34 to 35. So we just talked about that a little while ago. Jesus said, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. John 15, 12. So the next chapter coming up. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. John 15, 17, this is my command, love each other. And then 1 John chapter 3, John writes to the church and he reiterates this. He says, this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commands us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. 
This is how we know he lives in them, in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. And then again, we see this connection between this paraclete, the one he's sending, and love and our and the commands and keeping what Jesus is asking for us to do. So we love him with all of our hearts. And because he loved us and we respond to that love. And then we see that we obey him because we love him. We choose to live in his love to one another, to our neighbors, to this broken world. We choose love and we are filled by his living presence. He transforms us. He enables us to live in love and to, uh, you know, he confirms that we belong and he comforts and encourages and helps and counsels us. Now, of course, Jesus isn't asking for us to do anything he hasn't done first. This is what he says at the end of our passage. He says in verse 30, I will not say much more to you for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me, but he comes so that, this is it, the world may learn that I love the father and do exactly what my father command has commanded me. He says, so the world will know that I love the father and I obey out of that love. And we follow his example. We're filled with his living presence, this paraclete. We love him and we live in love because we are filled and because we love him. In conclusion, because God has filled us with his own living presence, we can obey in love. The paraclete, this word is, is an advocate, a counselor, a companion, a helper, an intercessor. It's tough to translate. This description is of the very spirit of Jesus sent to empower, to comfort and encourage us in the Christian life. Available to all of us if we ask. Jesus says, ask and receive. And we love to obey. Jesus is very clear, very, very clear that we don't obey his commands out of fear. We obey because we love him. And if we love him, we will obey. And then the question is what? What will we obey? And the answer is love. Love called us first and love gave himself for salvation. And we're filled in order that we could love. We're commanded to love. It's what the world is going to see and know that we belong to him. I'll, I'll close with, uh, with this benediction that Jesus says. It's, a, it's actually a Hebrew benediction that they would say at the end of when they're saying farewell. Jesus puts it right in the middle of his speech of what he's saying. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Let's pray.